Our scripture reading today comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concerns for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. God, this is such an exciting passage of scripture and challenging. I mean, what does it really mean to rejoice always? Would you be teaching us now? Teaching us the path to your joy? Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, writes Paul. Always? That's a lot. That's a lot of time to be rejoicing. Trust in the Lord always, maybe, but rejoice. This letter to the Philippians is full of contradictions. So here's Paul, and he's living in some really deplorable conditions right now. He's in a Roman prison. These are not nice places. And he's writing to Christians who he refers to as partners in the gospel. They've shared in the mission work of the gospel. And now they're sharing in the persecution that sometimes can come with that. Partners in persecution. Things are heating up. And yet this is a letter where the theme of joy probably surfaces more than any other letter that Paul writes. And and his readers and Paul himself are in circumstances where you don't know where this is going. You don't know when it's going to end or if it's going to end. Paul is pretty honest about the fact that this may end in death for him. This may be the end of the road. He doesn't think so. He thinks he has more work to do, but he knows that there's the possibility that, that this imprisonment will end in execution. So why joy? All of us, I think, have, uh, have struggled with this word from Paul, this theme of joy. And, you know, frankly, I struggled with talking about it today. Given the circumstances that we're in with COVID-19, some of the particular circumstances that I know that some of you are in, it almost seems insensitive 
to talk about joy at such a time. It makes more sort of pastoral sense to talk about our feelings and being honest with our feelings, which of course is so important. And when we talk about joy, biblically, we're not talking about pushing aside or excluding or denying our feelings. Jesus experienced the full range of emotions and displayed those emotions, as did Paul. And at the same time, both Jesus and Paul and Peter and James and John talk about joy. Joy in the Lord. Now we probably should distinguish here between joy and happiness. Happiness is the natural response to things going well. Joy is the supernatural response, even when things aren't going well. Huge difference between the two. And yes, joy, at least the kind of joy that Paul is talking about, is supernatural. It's a gift from God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, uh, you know, when we think about fruit, um, we think about something that can be cultivated. So I want to talk today about cultivating joy. It's easy to settle for something less. Now, we all know that we're supposed to love. And, you know, difficult circumstances don't keep us from loving. We hope for some measure of peace in difficult circumstances. Jesus said, you know, my peace I give to you. But joy? That seems a little beyond our reach. Some of us would just be happy with peace. But Paul says, no, shoot for joy. You're a disciple of Jesus. You're a disciple of the person who, on the eve of his death, knowing how he was going to die, and not only that, knowing that his closest friends and disciples were going to deny and betray and abandon him, on the eve of that event and those events, he said to his disciples, I'm saying these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So we're followers, we're disciples of Jesus. We want to learn that joy. So what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord? Um, That phrase is found repeatedly in the Psalms. And basically it means to rejoice about the Lord, about what the Lord has done and is doing and will do. It's to rejoice about the qualities of the Lord, that he's good and loving and kind and creative and generous. And certainly Paul means all of that when he talks about rejoicing in the Lord. We have even more reasons to rejoice because of all that God has done for us in Jesus and will do in the future. But for Paul, the words in the Lord mean something else. He can't stop repeating those words. Every few verses, sometimes within a couple of sentences, he repeats the words in Christ, in Christ Jesus, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And basically what he's referring to is our current primary address. So, where do we live? We live in the Lord. Um, Yes, we live in other places too. They're not our primary address. We have places where we have a home, a family, where we work, where we play, where we learn Those are places that Peter says are 
um, we're, we're resident aliens in those places. We live there, but our primary address, our primary home is the kingdom of God. And the words in Christ Jesus or in the Messiah Jesus are Paul's way of, of referring to um, the kingdom of God because Jesus is the king. And our primary way of experiencing life in the kingdom of God is life in Jesus. Jesus who lives in us, Jesus who lives around us, uh, we live in him, he's with us. And you know, no one expected that when the, when the kingdom of God came, that the Messiah would actually be that present, that available, and that we'd be able to live our life in him personally. So that's a great perk of the kingdom of God, something that was unexpected before Jesus actually came, and it's that aspect of the kingdom of God that we're able to experience now. So this, there's a joy that's to be found by living in the Lord. What can we say about this joy? And how do we cultivate it? Well, there are several characteristics of this joy that Paul alludes to in our reading for today. For example, joy is grateful. You don't see or hear the word joy very often without finding the word gratitude or thanksgiving very close by. And so uh, after the initial greeting, Paul says at the beginning of this letter, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I thank God and it's such joy that I, that I have in thinking of you. In, uh, in today's scripture, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. A couple of lines later. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. So joy and gratitude go hand in hand. I think a great example of this is found in what probably is the earliest letter we have of Paul's in the New Testament, his first letter to the Thessalonians, which he ends by saying, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. So rejoice and give thanks. Paul knows the lure and gravitational pull of the alternative. The alternative to gratitude is grumbling. He knows that temptation personally, and he certainly knows that temptation historically. In spite of God's powerful wisdom and intervention in the people of Israel's life after they were delivered from Egypt, they continually grumbled. They would express their confidence in God based upon his mighty acts, and within a day or two when things were getting difficult, they would grumble and complain against God and against Moses, and it poisoned their spirit. Paul knows that grumbling is like a plague. It rots the soul. It divides the body. And it's incredibly contagious. So rather than accept and give in to that pull towards grumbling and discouragement, he chooses gratitude. He's grateful for his readers. He's grateful for the gift that they've just given him through Epaphroditus. He could focus on what's going wrong in his life, but instead he focuses on what's right. By the way, he says, I'm having this opportunity to share the gospel with, with the prisoner or the prison guards. 
God is using me even here. And this is a choice. Yet, yet joy is a gift, but it's a gift like any gift or talent. You have to exercise it. You have to develop it. And so we experience joy by rejoicing. And part of what we rejoice over are the things we can be grateful for. So one of the, it's, it's sort of like a twin sister of joy is, is gratitude. And that's something we can choose and nurture and cultivate. Another aspect of, uh, of joy is that it's generous. Paul refers to this business of giving and receiving. He points out that uh, many churches haven't been engaging in the giving and receiving, but the Philippian church has been. They have from the beginning, even when he wasn't with them, as, as he went on to other places to share the gospel, he continued to, to engage in the matter of giving and receiving. And so these go hand in hand, sort of like joy and gratitude. Giving and receiving go hand in hand. What we know about God, this God that we're learning from and trying to imitate, is that he's incredibly generous. He gave us Jesus. And Jesus gave us himself. He gave us his entire life. He left it all on the field. He died the most horrible of deaths for us. And now is so generous in his forgiveness and love for us, even offering us eternal life and a new creation that will go on forever and ever and ever. And so life in Jesus is, is a generous life. It's a life of receiving and giving, receiving and giving. It's sort of the inhale and exhale of our life in the kingdom. Breathing in the kingdom of God is receiving and giving, being grateful for the smallest of gifts and always looking to give to others. And so people will sometimes ask me, Pastor, what do you think about tithing? Isn't that Old Testament? Yeah, that is Old Testament. It's not a binding rule today. I know some pastors will disagree with me, but I don't think it's binding. I think it's a good guideline. I know it's a really helpful guideline for my wife and I, but, but ultimately in the New Covenant, giving isn't so much something that's calculated. It's something that is generative. We're always generating new ideas and ways and places and people to give. That's what we do for a living. We don't, we don't make money for a living. We give for a living. That's how life works in the kingdom of God. And there's joy. I mean, how many people have you known that have been joyful people and stingy? That are people who hoard. Joyful people are generous people, just like Jesus. So joy is, uh, is something that's grateful. It's something that's generous. It's also something that's content. This is a remarkable passage in that it talks about Paul's contentment in the most um, difficult circumstances. Sometimes he doesn't eat. Um, Meals were not a given. They were not a, a privilege of being a prisoner in Roman prisons. That's one of the ways they kept their census low. Um, and, and so Paul was dependent upon others to meet his needs. He talks about there are times when he's been hungry, but he's learned the secret 
of being content even when he's hungry. Now yesterday uh, afternoon when I was working on this sermon, there came a point where I was having a hard time putting my thoughts together. I was hungry. I was starting to get a headache, and I never get headaches. I thought, well, I better, I better just stop this now and go home. And when I was at home, I was thinking about the sermon. I was thinking about how hungry I was and how weak I was. And I thought, you know, how did Paul do it? I'm not feeling very joyful right now. I'm not feeling very content right now, even though I know that I've got a delicious meal ahead of me. And so I know that whatever Paul experienced in terms of contentment, much less joy, was a gift. It was a gift from God. It was a supernatural gift from God. And just as the opposite, or or just as gratitude has an opposite, and that's grumbling, um, contentment also has an opposite, and that's coveting. At one of our morning gatherings this week, uh, we, uh, we looked at the Ten Commandments. It was the Old Testament reading for the day, and I asked the question, so why do you think not coveting made it to the top ten? There's 613 laws and rules in the Old Testament. So why did the command not to covet make it into the top ten list? As we talked about it, it seemed clear that one of the reasons was that coveting is really why we disobey the other nine commandments. Why do we steal? It's because we covet. Why do we murder? It's because we covet. Why do we bear false witness? It's because we're jealous, because we covet. Why do we commit adultery? It's because we covet. Why do we worship other gods? It's because we covet the gods of other people and nations. The opposite of coveting is being content. And being content with our circumstances doesn't mean we never try to improve our lot. But it does mean that we are set free for learning what God wants us to learn in our circumstances. And so people in 12-step groups, for example, will hear and share the adage, accepting life on life's terms. And why is that important? Well, for one thing, so that I don't drug and drink because of my circumstances. But another reason is so that I can give myself to my recovery. I can work the steps. If I can just let go of my circumstances and let God, now I can really work on what I need to work on. And likewise for us, If we can accept life in life's terms, if we can accept our circumstances, that frees us to learn what we're to learn. And so we're in these circumstances right now that are challenging. And I don't know about you, there are times when circumstances are challenging that I actually have more time because of the limitations in my life. But I may find myself actually reading my Bible less, praying less, because I'm pouting about my circumstances. And so we want to accept life in life's terms. We want to learn contentment, which enables us then to be free to say, okay, Lord, what am I to learn here? I'm a disciple, I'm a full-time student. What am I to learn? Is it joy? How in the world do I experience joy? Joy, please teach me how that works. And of course, we'll probably have to spend some time in the Bible. We'll have to spend some time in prayer. We may look at need to look at some of the things in our lives that are at the root of our sorrow and pain and woundedness and anxiety. But contentment makes all that possible. It makes it possible for us to give ourselves to our discipleship. 
and also makes joy itself much more possible. So joy is grateful, joy is generous, joy is content, and joy is also gentle. You may not have seen that coming, I didn't. Paul says, um, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. And I did some reading about this word gentle, and there's actually a couple of words about gentleness, and probably the most important word is found in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek or gentle. It includes what this particular word in this particular context means, but more than that, and and it ends up that to be gentle is, is, is kind of a, a luggage word. It, it contains all these different qualities. So to be gentle is to be, uh, is to be kind. It's to be not overbearing. You ever, ever notice that some people kind of you know, throw their, their joy in your face? It's like they're wanting to show you that they're joyful people because they're Christians. And, and they want you to become a Christian or want you to become a better Christian because of the joy. But but it feels more like an ornament than fruit, something that's put on rather than authentic, and it feels kind of overbearing. Well, joy is gentle. It's not overbearing. Uh, this word gentle can mean to be a non-anxious presence. It's to be thoughtful and considerate and understanding, gracious. And what's interesting is that it's associated not with people who are the downtrodden, but it's associated with kings and people in power and even with God. Gentleness is this quality of having power and not using it for your own advantage. Just like Jesus. One of the ways of translating the beginning of this poem or hymn that Paul uses in Philippians 2 is, so here's this, this uh, our attitude is to be the same as, as Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, it can mean as something to be held on to, but it can also mean as something to be exploited. The NIV says something to be used for one's own advantage. And so gent a gentle person, a gentle king or God is someone who has authority and power, but doesn't exploit it for their own ends. And so Jesus shows up and he says, oh, I've come to be served, I've come to serve. A person who's joyful is generous with their resources, but also generous with their presence, with how they're present, how attentive they are, how kind and, and considerate and listening they are as they spend time with so this is a great time to be generous, to be gentle with our presence with people, isn't it? At least, at least the people in our lives that are close to us. And we have other means through Zoom and telephone and email where we can be especially attentive and generous with our attention. And that too can be a path to joy because it's a part of joy. And then joy is also prayerful. This is one of the most important aspects of joy, and we can cultivate a prayerful life. Um, Paul says, rejoice always. And when things come that begin to make you anxious, tell you what, stop and bring it immediately to God with thanksgiving. 
and the peace of God, which transcends our understanding. We don't understand things any better, but you've brought it to God. will guard the peace that you have in Christ Jesus. And it's not like we only pray when we become anxious. No, we, we, we're in a, a relationship of prayer. Remember that passage in Thessalonians I mentioned earlier? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Sandwiched in the middle of rejoicing and gratitude is praying all the time. You know, there's a lot of news out there these days. And a lot of it is free. But if you want to get news from a major news outlet, you often have to pay for it. They'll give you a free article or two or three, and at some point they'll say, well, if you want full access, you're going to have to pay a subscription. Well, the thing is, it's really costly to have full access to God. Full access 24-7. You wouldn't believe how much it costs. It costs the blood of Jesus. And because of the price that he paid, we have full access to the throne of grace. We have full access to the entire Trinity. And that's something you do want to exploit. That's something you do want to take advantage of. And so the idea is, as you're living in the joy of the Lord, learning how to be grateful, rejoicing in the gifts, the simplest gifts of life, when things happen that at that moment want to make you anxious, you bring those things immediately to him. Say, God, you take care. If, you have, if there's something you want me to do, I'll do it. Tell me. But I'm giving this to you. That's where letting go and letting God fits in. And we can do that. That's one of the advantages and blessings and privileges we have of having full access that's been paid for. Full access to God. And so joy is prayerful. I imagine prayer is that yoke that binds us to Jesus. He says, be yoked to me. Let's go through the field of life together. Joy is also mindful. It pays attention to what our minds are doing and what we allow our minds to do. And so Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We want to, we want to focus our thinking of those things that are positive and good. Certainly, we're, we, we want to be informed. I think we all struggle at times with being too informed, dwelling too much on things that are beyond our control. And, and certainly that's the case these days when it comes to how people are responding to this virus. Some people are, are really jerks, let's just be honest. And we can dwell on those people and their behaviors, or we can dwell on those things that some people are doing that are just lovely. It's just beautiful. It's so admirable. And there's a, a, some tension in this community between two women. Their names are Yodia and Syntyche. He's just made mention of that. And I think a part of what he's saying is, you know, in, in your relations with each other, don't focus on those things that are unformed in your brother or sister. 
Focus on those things that are their positive qualities, where they've made some progress in their walk with Christ. Delight in them. Don't focus on the things that are difficult or are, are still works in progress in that person's life. And so what we do with our minds, where we allow our minds to go, Paul says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. And he wants us to give thanks. This is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus, to give thanks always. And so prayer is mindful. It's, it's mindful of what it's thinking. It's, it's saying, okay, do I really want to go here? And finally, joy is hopeful. Paul is very hopeful about his future. On the one hand, he may find himself released again, still again, from a Roman prison, in which case he's going to be able to carry on his work. But if that doesn't happen, if he dies, then he's very hopeful about what that will involve. He'll be able to be with Jesus and see Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I appreciated a, a, a message from Kent Bushman this, this week from my Camp Fowler, and uh, he had to announce that the camp will not be happening this summer. And that's a, that's a real loss for our kids, kids who have already found out this week that they're not going to be able to go back to school this school year. It's, it's a loss for camp counselors and parents. And, but he ended that missive by saying, you know, and there's hope. We're good at hope. But hope is something that always lies beyond the horizon. We can't see it. If we can see it, it's not hope. Optimism is based upon what we can see. Hope is something that we can't see. We see signs of it. We may not see the sun yet, but we see uh, some of the light. And that light is in the world. That, that light of Jesus is shining in the darkness. So joy is hopeful. Hopeful certainly for what lies beyond this life, but also hopeful for what God will do with our present circumstances. And so it's, it's looking at the bright side of things. It's looking at that little crescent moon where it may be that there's no moon that we can see, but we know that there's a bright side on the other side. That's at work and will eventually manifest itself. That God will use this for good. So joy is hopeful. So here are some characteristics of joy that we can actually cultivate in our life. Joy is grateful. Joy is generous. Joy is content. Joy is, uh, is gentle. It's prayerful. It's mindful. And it's hopeful. It's a gift. But it's not something that's automatic. It's something we need to practice and exercise. That's why Paul says rejoice. That's how you get to joy, is by rejoicing. And making Jesus your primary residence. Please pray with me. Lord, this is so tantalizing that we can know more and more joy in life. And it seems that this is a great time to think about that and to nurture these characteristics of joy when we're having to do without so much that we've relied upon for our happiness. So help us, teach each of us, be our mentor and teacher, Lord Jesus, and lead us by your Spirit.
Would you pour your joy into our hearts right now? At least give us joy over the prospect of joy. And we don't want to deny or minimize the very real suffering in our lives and in the lives of others. And the very real challenges that not only our church and our nation, but the entire world is facing right now. So, Lord, we pray for your help and strength and intervention. Stop this virus. May it die. May solutions be found, vaccines, remedies that minimize and alleviate it. Give strength to those at the front lines, whether they be in in an ICU ward or in a supermarket. And we pray for each of us that we would experience your comfort and blessing and that you would give us strength to face particular challenges that are upon us. We pray for our sister uh, Lynn Barnes, whose retina detached again. Lord, may, may you heal her. We pray that that surgery won't be necessary on Tuesday. Come to her aid. Give her what she needs now as she's having to lay down. Encourage her by her spirit and by your love and our love for her. Lord, we thank you for hearing us. And we pray that we would be faithful in prayer, both in rejoicing, but also in praying with petition for those you place upon our hearts this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.